0: Good morning. morning. Let's pray together. Father, we have come together this morning to meet with you. Um, That is really the ultimate purpose of our gathering. We uh, might have lots of other things that are on our minds and hearts and different reasons for why we came today. But God, in your good plan... You've enabled this time for us to meet with you, and you are the one we need to hear from now, so will you uh, fill my mouth with your voice, and will you speak to each of us uh, the good word from your heart that we need to hear today? And may we respond in a way that would glorify uh, and honor you, and all of this is possible only because of Jesus and all you have done for us in his name and will do. And so we we pray in his name. Amen. There was a father who had two sons. And the younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, The younger son got together all that he had and set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him out into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but nobody gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will get up, and I will go back to my father and say, Father... I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to him. "'threw his arms around him and kissed him. "'And the son said to him, "'Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. "'I'm no longer worthy to be called your son.' "'But his father said to the servants, "'Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. "'Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. "'Bring the fattened calf and kill it, "'and let's have a feast and celebrate.' For this son of mine was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older brother, the older son, was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and said, wanted to know what was going on. Your brother has come. The servant replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Well, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I have been slaving for you. And never disobeyed your orders, and yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, his father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad for this brother of yours was dead and now is alive again. He was lost and is found. Today we're beginning a new series that will take us through the season of Advent as we prepare to celebrate the birth of Jesus. And in this series, we're going to be focusing on this story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 15. And you might be wondering what this story has to do with Christmas because it doesn't say anything about Joseph and Mary. It doesn't say anything about Bethlehem or angels or shepherds. There's nothing here about Jesus' birth. That's what Christmas is all about, right? But what this story does is tell us why Jesus was born. Why the eternal Son of God took on humanity and entered into this world. In this story, Jesus explains the heart of God behind Christmas. So we can know. So we can know why he came. So we can know what he came to do and why that matters. This story is often called the parable of the prodigal son. But I don't think that's a very good title for it for a couple of reasons. Um, Prodigal, the word means extravagantly wasteful, as in uh, the way the, the younger son wasted all of his inheritance on immoral living. But I think it's it's a misleading title to call this story the, the, the Prodigal Son. For one thing, Jesus starts out by saying there was a man who had two sons. So there are two sons and the father. And the story is really about their relationship with one another, the way they treat and interact with one another. But here's here's the bigger reason I don't think Prodigal Son's a good title, and that is I think it, it sets us up to miss the main point. We can miss the main point because what happens to the Prodigal Son isn't the main point. Now, it's huge, and it's it's beautiful, and we need to get it, but there's another lesson here that I think is even more important, more significant, certainly, probably to most of us, and it's that one we need to get. If 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 we think that this story is mainly about the prodigal son, and then we sort of treat the second half of the story and how the older son, relates to his father. If we think that is kind of an epilogue, sort of an afterthought, we're really going to miss the main thing Jesus was trying to tell us. And to get at that, we need to spend some time thinking about why Jesus told this story in the first place. And that's what I want to do with this message. What was Jesus aiming at? When he told this story, who was Jesus aiming at when he told this story? Why did he tell it? Two answers. First answer he told this story because he, Jesus, came to seek and save the lost. He came to seek and save the lost. That's pretty much a direct quote from Jesus himself. A few chapters later, Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man, Jesus talking about himself there, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's why Jesus came. That's why Christmas happened. That is why God became man in the womb of a virgin. And it's why Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Because he came to seek and to save lost people. And it's that mission of his, it is that motivation of his that he is explaining with this story. About the two sons. Now, to see this, we need to back up and we need to look at what was happening when Jesus told this story. So let's back up to chapter 15, verse 1. And it says Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, grumbled, this man, this fellow, welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus here is interacting with two very different groups of people. On the one hand, you've got the tax collectors and sinners, and on the other hand, you've got the Pharisees and teachers of the law. And the first group they're happy with Jesus. And the second group, they're very upset at Jesus because Jesus welcomes the first group. And that really, really bothered them. Because welcoming those people, that was something they were convinced was something that no decent moral God honoring person would ever do. And that's because the tax collectors and sinners were not good people. These are the people your mama warned you about. (laughs) Okay, tax collectors were traitors. There's just no other way to say it. They were traitors. They were Jewish, but what they did was they got rich working for the Romans and helping the Romans exploit their fellow Jews. They were helping the enemy. So nobody welcomed tax collectors except other tax collectors. You didn't hang around with these people. And then sinners, well, these were the immoral people. These were the prostitutes and the pimps and the drunks and... All those people just, you know, rejecting what's good and decent and right and moral and, you know, living any old way they please. And these are the people that no good person would be seen with. <laughs> but Jesus was seen with them a lot. And what was worse is jesus it's the way Jesus treated them. He did not treat these social outcasts the way the Pharisees and the teachers of the law did, you know, with stern looks of disapproval. They didn't see that when they looked in Jesus' face. They saw something else. When they looked in Jesus' eyes, they saw something else. They saw not stern disapproval. They saw compassion. And they felt something different, which they never felt from the Pharisees and teachers of the law. They felt wanted. Which was amazing, because Jesus did not approve of their sin any more than the Pharisees and the teachers of the law did. Jesus never pulled any punches when he talked to people about God's perfect standards of righteousness and truthfulness and faithfulness. You go back and read Jesus' sermons, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, and how he just elevates God's perfect standards of righteousness and telling the truth and being faithful. The standards that these people, these tax collectors and sinners, were breaking on a regular basis, but somehow these people knew that Jesus genuinely loved them, and he welcomed them, and he sat down and ate with them, which really bugged. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law. That just infuriated them. And They wanted to know what in the world this guy, Jesus, this guy who claims to represent God, want to know what in the world he's doing hanging around with these lowlifes, these irreligious, immoral, rule-breaking people. And that's when Jesus begins to tell stories. Verses 3 through 10. Then Jesus told them, notice that. Who's the them? The scribes, or the Pharisees, and the teachers of the law. He's telling them. Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after this lost sheep until he finds it? Oh, yeah. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully till she finds it? Oh, yeah. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then he tells the story being in verse 11 that we've already read. Now, what's Jesus doing? He's answering the question, why? Why does he welcome sinners and eat with them? And his answer is stunning. It's radical. And it's so different from what people naturally think about God. The answer is that God does not view these tax collectors and sinners as worthless things to be discarded and despised. God views them as highly valued people who are lost and need to be found. And Jesus came to find them. If you are lost today, Jesus came to find you too. In these stories, Jesus tells us that one, one lost person matters to God. You matter to God. You matter to God the way a lost sheep matters to a shepherd. You matter to God the same way that one lost coin matters to a poor woman. You matter to God the way one lost son matters to his father. And the shepherd doesn't say, "Oh yeah, well, one sheep whatever, I got 99 more." The woman, "Eh, well, what's one lost coin? I got more." Father, "Yeah, I got two kids." So what? No. No, these lost things matter. And Jesus says twice that all of heaven rejoices when even one lost person repents, when one lost person is found. Heaven rejoices. God rejoices over one. The God who rules over nations and galaxies cares about lost sinners individually. one by one. So, if you're lost, if you're separated from the God who made you because, you know, you're going your own way and you know it, I tell you, your being here today is no accident. It's not an accident that you're here today. You are hearing what God wants you to hear that Jesus came to seek and save the lost, including you and me. He came to pay the death penalty for your sin. That's what He came to do, ultimately. He came to rescue you from judgment. The judgment you and I so richly deserve, He came to rescue us from that. You just need to admit you're lost. Just admit you're lost and that you can't get to God on your own efforts. And instead, turn around and let Jesus do for you what he came to do. He came to seek and save the lost. So that's one reason he told the story, to make that clear. But there's another reason here, and I think this one's even more significant for many of us who already maybe know that first part. And the second reason he told this story is because there are a lot of lost people who don't know, who don't think they're lost. See, these two groups of people that Jesus is interacting with, you know, the tax collectors and sinners, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, these are represented in the story by the two sons. And the younger son, well, he stands for the tax collectors and sinners because these are people who did not follow the moral laws of the Bible. They did not concern themselves with the ceremonial laws of religious people. They just rejected all that. Pastor Tim Keller who wrote a great little book, by the way, called The Prodigal God, and I'm gleaning lots of insights from Tim Keller. It's a great book. You might want to pick that up. Prodigal God, Tim Keller. He puts it like this. He says, like the younger brother, these people had left home by leaving the traditional morality of their families and society. Now, the other group, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, well, these are... Portrayed by the older brother. These are the people who held to tradition and they obeyed the moral code and they studied their Bibles and they went to religious services and they tried to do the right thing. Now, here's the question. To which of these two groups did Jesus address this story? Who did he tell it to? Not to the first group not to the immoral, the rule breakers. And and see, this story is often told as if that was the main point, to assure all the younger brothers of the world, the immoral, irreligious rule breakers, who are obviously lost, that, that the story was told to reassure them, to assure them of God's great love for them and of their need to turn around and go home to God and they would be forgiven well, Jesus was certainly doing that with those people, but here's the thing. That was already happening before he told the story. He wasn't telling the story to them. No, the story is told to the second group, to the religious, to the moral, to the rule-keeping, the older brothers. Why? Because their attitude, their attitude toward the younger brothers, their attitude toward Jesus himself and all that he was doing and all that he was teaching, their attitude, their response, like the response of the older brother, proved that they also were lost from God. But they didn't think. They were. And Jesus was not trying to warm their hearts with a sentimental tale about a wayward son who found his way home. Jesus was trying to shatter their false ideas about what it means to be lost, what it means to be separated from God, and most of all, what the heart of God is really like toward lost people. So I want to tell you, if you feel in any way offended or bothered by this story, if you in any way feel sympathetic toward that older brother and his complaint that he got a raw deal, Well, then you can understand how the religious, moral, good people felt when they heard this story. And I plead with you. It means you need to listen very carefully to what Jesus is teaching us about what it really means to be lost and what it really means to be found. And so in this story, Jesus is challenging what we all naturally think about God. He's challenging all of us. How we think about God, what it means to be right with him. Yes, this story points out the self-centeredness of the younger brother and how destructive that self-centeredness is. It points that out, but it also points out the self righteousness of the older brother, and shows how destructive that is. See what what is the way to God? There are two paths in this story, and the story is telling us the way of God is not immorality. Well, duh. The way to God is not rejecting all of His standards and how to live because He gave those to us because He loves us and because He knows what's good. So he says, live this way. And so the path to God is not by rejecting that and going and, you know, living an immoral moral life. But the way to God is also not morality. Keeping all the rules. That's not what gets you to God. That's not what connects you to God. The path to God is not immorality. The path to God is not Morality. The path to God is humility. To recognize that you and I, apart from the seeking grace of God in Jesus Christ, you and I are all lost, and we all need to admit it, and we all need what the one who came to seek and save the lost alone can do for us. We need Jesus. That's the way to God. Your greatest need is not to make yourself moral. Man, I worry about that. I do. I worry about people who think that what this is all about is we've got to learn how to be more moral. Now, I'm not here to say, okay, we don't need to worry about being moral. Uh, Being moral is irrelevant. I'm not saying that. But that is not the main thing at all. And if you think it's the main thing, you're missing the main thing. The main thing is what God does for us in Jesus Christ, and we're all lost apart from His seeking grace. He came to seek and save the lost, and until you realize that, you won't ask Him to seek and save you, and that's your greatest need. So we're going to be looking at this story to try to understand what Jesus is saying about being lost and what he's saying about being found. And here are two important questions I think we need to ask ourselves as we do this. And the first question is, have we admitted our own lostness? See, lostness can look very different. It can look very immoral, rebellious, defiant, breaking all the rules, but lostness can also look very moral, very proper, very religious, going to church, looking respectable, but still having no real relationship with the Father. Now, I plan to talk about this more next week, Lord willing, but here's the thing. Until we admit we're lost, until we admit we can't get to God by our own efforts, we'll never experience God's rescue. And Christmas just won't mean that much. And then the other question is especially important for those of us who come to church regularly, who try to keep the rules. And the question is this, what is our attitude toward the younger brothers of this world? How we answer that question reveals a lot about our hearts and whether or not our heart is in tune with God's heart. What's our attitude toward the younger brother? Are we offended by them? Is that our main response? Are we angry at the way they break the rules? Are we indignant at their immoral behavior? Because, see, if that's our main response, then there's something wrong. Because our main response should be the same response of God's heart toward the lost, and that is compassion. Because they're lost from God. And they're going their own way, and they're trying to find fulfillment, meaning, and purpose without God, and they are hurting themselves and will destroy themselves without God. Lost people were attracted to Jesus for many reasons. His integrity, His truthfulness... And mainly, I think, is compassion. And when people looked in his eyes, they saw God's seeking love for them. I wonder what people see when they look in my eyes. I wonder what people see when they look in your eyes. Let's pray together. Father, this story, it's so beautiful, but it just, it explodes like a bomb and just shatters what we thought we know, what we think we know about you, and kind of what we're naturally inclined to do. And so we need to hear what Jesus is telling us so desperately. And I pray for any today who today are realizing they're lost, and they know it. And I pray you'd help them quit trying to make themselves good enough for you. And instead, simply admit they're lost, come home to you and say, God, do for me. Do do for me what you sent Jesus to do. Seek and save the lost. I need saving. I need finding. God, find me. Jesus is the only one who can do that. Do it for me. And Father, for those of us who tend toward to be like that older brother, maybe offended at the lost, maybe indignant, Lord, will you work in our hearts? Will you create in our hearts the compassion of Jesus? And Lord, will you help us experience what it means to be found by you this Christmas and to be those who... Like Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. And give us that heart, your seeking heart for the lost. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.